The following Downstage Center program was originally broadcast in April 2008. Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theater Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theater Wing. Today we welcome a man whose work you have seen many times over many years in many different venues. Ken Billington, the lighting designer, has designed... At last count, something like 80 Broadway shows, the lighting for 80 Broadway shows. He has done shows including the current Sunday in the Park with George, the Drowsy Chaperone, the revival of Chicago, which is still running, for which he did win the Tony Award, the original production of Sweeney Todd on the 20th Century, many other Broadway shows. For 27 years, he lit the Radio City Music Hall Christmas Spectacular. He's done productions of Stars on Ice. He lit Disney's Fantasmic, the exhibition that's been running for many years at Disneyland in uh, Anaheim. He also, direct, uh, he also lit Shamu, Rocks, SeaWorld in both Orlando and San Diego, and High School Musical, plus many restaurants, clubs, and other venues. Ken, welcome. <laughs> well, thank you, John. It makes me sound like I've been too busy. <laughs> You've been very busy from what it sounds, including the current production of Sunday in the Park with George at Roundabout here in New York, a show which was imported from London. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the challenges of being the lighting designer on a show that originally existed over there now here in New York. Well, you, Sunday in the Park, which is uh, 23, 25 years ago, was done on Broadway. Um, a new production was done in the U.K., in London three or four years ago, and very heavily relied on video technology uh, for projecting images uh, uh, on the set. Uh, I went and saw this. I bought a ticket. It sounded interesting to me, and I went and saw it in a 199-seat theater in um, London and was very impressed with it. Uh, in fact, I forgot about the original production, which was quite spectacular. And I just went as an audience and thought, this is pretty terrific, and recommended it to everybody I know. Uh, when they decided to bring it, and then it played to the went to the West End, and when they decided to bring it to New York, they um, called me. Um, producer called and said, would you light this? And I, of course, jumped at the chance because I had seen it and thought it was quite wonderful. And um, I was in London um, opening The Drowsy Chaperone and had a meeting with the director, uh, Sam Buntrock, uh, David Farley, the set and costume designer, and Tim Bird, the projection designer, to see if we actually could work together because the theater is such a collaborative process that if you can't get along, don't do it. Just go to the beach. Do something else because if you're going to sit and fight for um, a number of months, then maybe there's something else you should do. Well, we got on like a house of fire. We had a great fun, and they explained their production, which I had seen. They were very intimate with it because they had done it twice. So um, getting involved was a little scary in that this team knew the show so brilliantly. So they knew every dot and comma. Um, and I was the new guy. I didn't know the show as well as they did. Uh, but we had a lot of meetings. And because it is so reliant on video projection, which shouldn't scare anybody about seeing it, it is truly magnificently done. Um, dare I say, the best use of video I've ever seen in the theater. Um, even if I hadn't designed it, I would say that. And I did not design the video. So we had all these meetings. And what I always have felt with projections many times, and we know this when you 
turn on the slide projector at home, you turn all the lights off and you watch an image. You go to a movie theater, they turn the lights off and you watch an image. Well, when we use projection on the stage, you can't turn the lights on because you have to see the people. I have to convey time of day, uh, mood, um, uh, color. I, I have to tell you a lot so you can emotionally enjoy what you're watching. Uh, so the first thing I said to them before we did anything, I said the name of the show is Sunday in the Park. I said it's not sun night in the park. It's bright. It's cheery. Yes, we do nighttime and we do moody, but I said it's Sunday in the park. And I said we have to make sure the show is bright when it is meant to be and that we're not saying, oh, turn the lights off. We can't see the projections. We got that out of the way. Everyone agreed with me, and that was that was good. And then we went through the show. We spent about seven days uh, going through the show moment by moment. And the collaboration, I just wouldn't accept what they had done or what they were doing. And they said, well, this is what we're doing here. And I would say, well, why don't we add something else? Why don't I support it with doing this with the lighting? Or I should dapple the floor. Or I can reinforce shadows here and everybody jumped on the bandwagon and all of a sudden the show started to expand projection wise um and then of course i left that was august uh i left and the video team went to work uh creating the imagery which they had a lot of but they spent about two months there was an army of people an army i think 16 or so creating the imagery that would be projected equipment was ordered by uh sam hopkins who was the video programmer and the technician basically um who's from australia but lives in london and then we went into the theater and we turned on the projectors and they looked good and i aimed my lights. Because what people don't know about Broadway, and very few people know this, is there are no lights in a Broadway theater. I bring, I order anything I want. If I want a spotlight, I better order the spotlight. In fact, if you want work lights so you can see to clean the theater, I better order them. Because a theater comes with that light bulb that everybody knows from seeing too many movies or TV shows, that light bulb on a stand. So uh, if it does anything else besides that light bulb on a stand, I've ordered it. Now, the chandeliers come with the theater, but everything else I have to order. So it, it's an interesting process, and I have to do this, of course, months before the show goes into rehearsal. I have to design the show. I look at the scenic drawings and see how it's created, uh, where I can put the lights, where they've left room for them. Then I have to look at what we had talked about. What's the concept going to be? How am I going to make it look like Sunday in the Park with George? Like I think it looks like in my mind's eye that the other creators think it looks like and the public is has to see so they can understand it. So that said, I sit at my drawing board and I design a show. I lay it out. I lay it out in half-inch scale on a piece of paper. Uh, when all of that is finished, it is uh, then sent to a rental shop because we rent the lights and they are then brought into the theater and installed by the stagehands. Um, I get to wear a jacket and tie and go to work. I don't have to uh, get too dirty. Um, I then watch rehearsals and take very good notes and then come back to the theater, and we start what is known as the technical rehearsals. Now, on Sunday in the park with George, we did uh, video rehearsals, video and lighting rehearsals, before a week before the cast arrived. So we would put the projections on the stage, and then I would make up something, a complimentary light cue to go with the projections. Uh, 
then we did this for a week because it's very complicated in making sure that the actors were going to be lit and the uh, walls of the set weren't and it wasn't going to become about spotlights hitting walls and washing out projections. We then got the cast on stage and we spent, uh, I think, about seven days, eight, ten days, I guess it was, getting through the show technically from beginning to end with projections, lighting, ultimately adding costumes, uh, sound was added from the beginning, and uh, the orchestra, and we get to previews. And it was a collaborative process that worked, but it didn't end at the first preview. Now, the venue here in New York, Studio 54, is substantially larger than the Menier Chocolate Factory in London, where you saw it. Yes, and, and Wyndham's Theater, where it played. The set is bigger, by the way, uh, which gave the show uh, a breath that it was, I think, was quite wonderful. Uh, the Menier Chocolate Factory is very wide, so it was, it's, we're actually the same width, except mm-hmm. it has a 10-foot ceiling, so uh, it was a little bit of a cinemascope. Uh, so, but it was very different. But we did it here. Uh, everybody, the set is a little bit bigger. The projections are more sophisticated. The video, uh, the projectors are bright enough. We put in a very sophisticated light plot, and uh, it pays off. And I must say, I sit there and I look at it and say, this works. You know, sometimes you do your job and you say, I did okay. Sometimes you say, hmm, I did pretty good. Sometimes you say, that's just terrific. This is one of those, that's just terrific. Well, even though the show is an import and you had seen it in London, are you essentially starting from scratch because of a different venue, different concept, or are you taking some of the elements from the London production and and using them here? I took... I took the what the video was, and the staging is basically the same, but totally created what I thought it needed lighting-wise in collaboration with the uh, um, other creators of this show. And it looks radically different than it did uh, in in London and, the, uh, and on the West End. And so it was um, – and everyone was very happy. So it, it was a joy, and it's um, – And when people go see it, I have people call me on the phone, and it isn't from what I did, to say that they cried through the last 15 minutes of the show and to tell me how pretty it is and how beautiful and emotional. And I always think then we everybody did their job. If we can make you cry or emotionally get involved and walk out of that theater at the end of the play and say, that was a wonderful evening of theater. We've all done it. You shouldn't come out whistling the scenery. You shouldn't come out whistling the lights. and in this show, you don't come out whistling any of those. You come out of Studio 54, and you hit 54th Street, and you say, that was a pretty good evening. And then I think we all did our job. I want to take a step back from the specificity of Sunday in the Park, but even in what you've said so far, there seems to be a very interesting mix of the human and the technical in your job. How much do you see your job as pure artistry, and how much do you see your job as technology? Um, I think of myself as an artist. Uh, Quite honestly, I cannot paint. I cannot draw. If you saw your eight-year-old could probably draw better than I could. But what I can do is I can paint with light, and that I am an artist with. I couldn't do anything that would get me out of the fourth grade in the drawing department. But I can do stuff with lights that is quite thrilling and artistic. Yes, that has to be achieved by taking a technical element. A spotlight is a a piece of hardware that gets plugged into a dimmer, that gets put into a control console and gets turned on and off at appropriate times. 
the technical part of my job is figuring out the equipment. What is the piece of equipment that will do this job? And because there is nothing in the theater, it is up to me to order the right piece of equipment. I'm not stuck with a spotlight that is 25 years old uh, because they own it. I get the spotlight that I want. So, And I put the right color in it, and I put the right projection gobo in it to break it up. I do whatever is necessary with it. That is what I sit, and that's my design process, figuring that out. The technical part of it is it all does have to be plugged in and you can't blow a fuse. Um, And there's got to be enough electricity and there's things like that. But that said, I then paint with light when the performers show up. I take the audience where the show needs to take them, if I do my job right. Uh, You know, you read a script and it says it's a sunny day. Now, uh, if I went to you, Howard, and said, what color is sunlight? What would you say to me? I couldn't answer the question. Right. And, John, you the same thing. You know, I would you, say probably 6,500 degrees Kelvin. Uh, yes, very good. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, is sunlight yellow? Is sun, uh, sunlight blue? Is sunlight warm? Is it pink? Well, yes. It oh. is all of the above things. However, I tell the audience that that's sunlight. So if the script says it's a sunny day, whatever I have coming through the window and you will be sunlight. If it is steel blue, very cold, okay, it's a gloomy sunny day or or winter sunny day, not a hot summer sunny day in the Caribbean. So I, I do all of that. That's my job to tell you that. If I want you to focus on the actor stage left, I then turn some of the lights off stage right, perhaps, or I brighten the actor stage left. If it is getting more dramatic, well, then let me change it with color. Maybe it becomes more shadowy. These are things you don't often see. You don't often, uh, you wouldn't know I was necessarily doing it. Um, what people always see is when we put a spotlight on in the follow spot and it's a big hard edge circle and the guy is singing the tune and it, you say, oh, that's good lighting. Well, yes, that's part of my job I, because now I've done this big hard edge circle. You say, oh, it's a vaudeville show. It's theatrical. But I take that same follow spot and I put a very soft edge on it, put it at a low glow, and just light their face, you don't even know it's there. It's the same spotlight. Not to belabor the technology question, but over the course of a career that's now some four decades long, have you are you constantly being given the opportunity to work with new tools oh, absolutely. to achieve the ends that you want? Absolutely. When I... When I started lighting uh, shows, the, it was manual operation on Broadway. We were direct current. Um, everybody in your house, you have alternating current. If you have elevators in your building, it's probably direct current. But Broadway was all direct current, which meant we could not use any new, sophisticated, either electronic or auto-transformer dimmers. So we were using the same dimmer consoles that they were using in the 20s on Broadway up until uh, Chorus Line in 1976. So our technology was very old. Spotlights really hadn't changed much uh, from the 30s. Uh, They got a little smaller, a little more compact. Uh, we had no automated lighting, lights that move, which people who go to rock concerts would see those lights that are always swaying out into your face. Um, we didn't have color changers, things you put on the front to change the colors. It was, if you go to Ziegfeld, they had footlights and they had some border lights and some fill lights and follow spots in the balcony. Uh, you get it, We got better than that. But when I first worked on Broadway, a big Broadway musical would be 350 lights. 
when I was the assistant designer on MAME. It was 350 lights, and that was a very, very big musical on Broadway. Uh, I have gone up to 1,200 lights when I did that fabulous hit, The Red Shoes. Um, and it, it has grown, but the equipment has gotten better. Now, rock and roll helped us a lot there. They developed a lot. So rock and roll got the par ahead and got some things involved for us, moving lights, automated te lighting technology, which we quickly adapted into the theater. And we went from, you know, four guys in T-shirts grunting and groaning and kicking dimmers with their knees and hands and everything else to try and get the lights to look good to one guy hitting a button because we changed all the theaters to alternating currents so uh, we can just plug in any computer to run, not any computer, but a lighting computer to run the lights now. So the technology has changed radically. I mean radically, and it changes daily. Um, the standard spotlight that is used is called a source for now. Um, that is the general spotlight that is used to illuminate the stage worldwide um, in when we did Chicago, was the first complete Source 4 show. And that's 11 and a half years ago. So now the world that's what the world uses. So we change very quickly. And by the way, it's good. The shows are better. The shows are brighter. I don't think people see as well, but it's um, very different. And what it has helped for the artistic part is now I can really be sophisticated. I, before I was as sophisticated as what a few guys could do pushing some handles. Now I can change everything at the punch of a button and magically take you wherever I want or not. And I presume also you can be very precise and very repeatable. The same effects can be repeated day after day uh, exactly totally. the same way. Unless a computer breaks, but that doesn't happen too often. But uh, <laughs> it does happen, as, as we all know. We have, we have it to reboot at home. <laughs> but uh, hopefully that doesn't happen during a performance. But it, uh, yes, it, it is very repeatable. If the actors stand in the right place, the light will come on. Speaking of actors standing in the right place, do you, when a replacement goes in, like when there's been a major cast change, do you have to do any relighting for the person himself it or herself? It depends who it is. I'm, you I'm know, thinking like, like, an, like an older person may need softer light than a younger person? Usually or? the concept of the show has been set, uh -huh. and we know if it is an older person, they were probably an older person originally, so uh, I, I'm probably okay there. But you do go in to see if um, it needs adjustment uh, to be um, helpful to the re the star that is going into the show, to be supportive because they're probably nervous and scared. So I don't – it stays the same. Yes, we do change it, of course. You know, well, I think like in the case of Chicago, you've had many different Billy Flynn. Some of them have been African-American. Some have not. You've yes. had many different characters playing all the roles. Do you have to make specific changes for Chicago? Uh, yes. Well, w there's one moment in Chicago that when we have an African-American in the show, uh, depending, again, what is, is – do they have a lighter skin or a very dark – dark skin, um, there is one cue that I do have to brighten up and dim down. Uh, and we do that in all the companies of Chicago. Interesting. I didn't think anybody would ever notice. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about the development of technology. Let's talk a little about the development of Ken Billington. How did you get started? What drew you to lighting design? Well, you know, I tell the story, and it's... Uh, it's a fun story, I think. In the fourth grade, I, and I, this, I won't belabor this, but in the fourth grade, I ran the lights for the fourth grade play. And I, when I was running them, it was because I could figure out how to turn them on. I, it was nothing more. And there were like 
four switches or yeah, two circuits of footlights and two overhead. Woo-hoo! Uh, no dimmers. These were big old switches. And there needed to be a blackout in this play uh, for presented to the rest of the grammar school. And I remember I was uh, backstage, and we had to do a blackout. Now, blackouts are pretty radical for the fourth grade play. Uh, but we had the drapes closed in the auditorium, and the house lights were off. And I pulled my big old knife switch, and the lights blacked out. At the same time, Sherry Zimmerman was next to me with a pair of cymbals, and she crashed these cymbals in my ear. And then I pulled all the other switches out, put the big master switch in, and turned them on one at a time, I guess to fade the lights up. And the grammar school audience cheered. And you know what? I'm still doing it. (laughs) But then... Did you go to school specifically for lighting design? Um, Obviously, long after fourth grade. Long after fourth grade, but you know, I was the guy in Cub Scouts and in um, junior high and high school who was the head of the stage crew, and you know, all the dancers in the gym were very well lit or badly lit. I don't know, but then the community players, and I grew up just outside of New York in a town called Rye, New York, so. I went to the theater. I, I loved this. I just like my every time my parents looked out the back in the backyard though, they saw me on top of a very tall ladder re aiming the floodlights and they'd come running out screaming, What are you doing? I remember they had a party once and the trees looked beautiful but nobody could see to eat. Um so <laughs> I learned that lesson. But I, I did that and when I got out of high school, quite honestly, I didn't go to college. I couldn't get in. Um but I did find a professional school in New York called the Lester Polikov Studio in Form of Stage Design. And I took a lighting class there. And now this was a school. My lighting class was five. It was taught by arguably the finest uh, lighting designers of their time, Gene uh, Rosenthal, Theron Musser, Peggy Clark, and Tom Skelton, and Chuck Levy. Um, these were geniuses in their field. And I took a lighting class Saturday mornings. Uh, and everybody else in my class was out of graduate school and trying to pass the union exam, the union I belonged to, to uh, for designers. So it was, I learned there, and then I just became an assistant. And I was assisting on Broadway when I was 19 years old. And I assisted on perhaps 20-some-odd Broadway shows. And then at the ripe old age of 22 or 23, I decided I couldn't assist anymore. Uh, and hung around until I got my um I was did some interesting jobs but then I got my first Broadway show which was uh during months the visit in 1973 and got my first Tony nomination and who did you convince to hire you for the first time as a full-fledged designer um on Broadway, it was interesting. The Phoenix Repertory Company existed at that time, and Theron Musser, who I had assisted, who is the person who really trained me as a lighting designer, had done their season the year before at the Lyceum Theater, and she couldn't do their second season. And I had lit their, what they called their, I don't know, some it was we now call off-off-Broadway, where they would do two weekends of performances of new plays. And Theron couldn't do their second season, so she said to the producers and the directors. She said, well, you liked Ken. Why don't you let Ken light the show? And they said, okay. Now, I must tell you, my first show on Broadway is directed by Harold Prince. So, um, and was a very large hit, but it was, I was so insecure at my ripe old age of 25 or something that I remember going to a meeting at Hal's house and there was a costume designer, set designer. Everybody was there. It was a production meeting. And I sat there and I walked in and 
Everyone said, hello. Nobody said my name. So I said, mm, maybe they don't know who I am. And we looked at the set, and we talked about the costumes, and we listened to some music, and we did the scheduling. We did everything except talk about lighting. And I thought, oh, well, maybe they don't know who I am. Uh, and so the meeting broke up, and it was, okay, we'll see everybody whenever. And so I go up to Hal, and I said, Hal. And he said, yeah, Ken. And I said, oh, my God, he does know who I am. <laughs> and uh, I said, now, wanting to talk about this show more than, you know, just appearing in the theater, I said, so, Hal, there's a number of ways we could light this show. Um, I said, I could do it with shafts. And he said, I love shafts. Do it with shafts. That was the end of my production meeting with Hal Prince on that show, and I lit it with shafts and very successfully and got uh, a Tony nomination, which was good. And then, uh, by the way, did 20 more Hal Prince shows and plays and musicals and operas. So we had a g very good relationship, and um, luckily, and I'll knock wood on that one, um, I haven't been out of work too much since then. Well, that's to say the least. I mean, you had sent over to us this this resume with 80 Broadway shows and regional and tours and even pointing out shows that tried out out of town and didn't come in. The work seems staggeringly prolific. And I'm wondering how many shows you do on average a year and how do you manage to balance them all? Well, I, by the way, I have a terrific staff in my office. I have um, several assistants who have been with me for many years and associates. And so I have a wonderful staff. The thing is, you know, I do a lot of shows, but I do things I like. Um, you know, I had never lit a nightclub act until Liza Minnelli saw one of my shows and came running up to me in a theater and said, you have to light my act. And I said, great. I had never lit a nightclub act. So I, for years, I was the lighting designer of choice for a lot of stars, for Shirley MacLaine, Anne Margaret, um, the McGuire sisters, Julia Prowse, Liberace, Siegfried and Roy. So I had that whole career of lighting stars, but I had never done it, so I did the first one. The same with an opera. I had never lit an opera until... Um, Somebody said, do you want to come light an opera? I said, sure. And it was restaurants, the first restaurant, you know, I lit. I never lit a restaurant. And then all of a sudden I had this career as an architectural lighting designer. Uh, so I, they were just interesting projects. Now that I've done a lot of it, I have a lot of people I know and I love in the business and I work with. And when they call, you do their shows. Well, that's it. Do you decide it based on the director asks you? the other designers, authors? What are the factors that make you choose what you do? Well, you know, it's all of the above. It's the director. I have loyalty to a lot of directors, and they call me first. Uh, there are producers who tell the director that I'm going to light the show. I have general managers who tell everybody that I'm the guy they should hire. So you never know where it's going to come from. Uh, and you only can do so much. I only can light so many shows. I mean, this year so far, I, I did um, a new play off-Broadway, New Jerusalem, Sunday in the Park with George, the U.K. tour of High School Musical, uh, Porgy and Bess for the Dallas Opera, Dancing in the Dark, which is the pre-Broadway tryout of the bandwagon, which is at the Old Globe, then came back and um, uh, just did... Um, I know I lit a show last week. Oh, Juno for Encores, and then I'm in tech right now for Candide at City Opera. Then I'm taking a month off. And that's in about the first 13 weeks of yeah. 2008. Absolutely. But a different assistant associate on each of them. 
By the way, all well designed. I didn't. I don't shirk my duties. They, I sit and I lay them out. You know, going to the theaters part of it. It's the months on the front end before that that I have to really sit and spend quiet time just thinking about the show and how I'm going to design it, and then. But, you know, I do that, and that's all laid out. It doesn't show up in the theater for months, so <laughs> go do something else or lay out another show. But, you know, between John DeMoose and Anthony Pearson and Ben Piercy and Jason Kantwitz, and these are the great, incredible uh, people that I work with all the time um, and, and that I co-design with many times. That, um, But I never want to I, – I, they hired me, by the way, so I'm there. I have to do this. Um, it doesn't leave a lot of free time, I must tell you, uh, So, which is why I'm going to take the summer off. Well, can you go a little bit more into what the assistant and the associates do is it, versus what, what you do? Do they do, like, the mechanical part of it? Or? They, they will do the drafting uh-huh. of the show, uh, which means they take my sketches and my layouts and they turn it into a mechanical drawing. Kind, kind, of, kind of like a uh, blueprint uh, would is, be. For totally, it is a blueprint, yeah, yeah. Uh, which can be... Um, up to six, seven, eight, nine pages, but they will do that. Uh, we then make a list of the equipment. I do a lot of the, I design, do the design, I do the layout, I then hand it to them to do the drafting. They then do all the paperwork creation. They will talk to the electricians daily, uh, they will talk to the shops, and if they need an answer to something they can't come up with, of course, they ask me. So it's um, uh, they do a lot. And when we get to the theater, they're a pal, by the way. You know, I, I, and somebody who works with you in a theater, this is somebody you want to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with seven days a week for months on end uh, because you do have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with them because you work from 8 to midnight. The hours are pretty uh, grueling. And they are on your side. They are looking in places, and you see something on stage, and the, the backdrop isn't lit right. And I see my associates stand up and go down the aisle, and all of a sudden the backdrop's lit right because they went back and just solved the problem. As me getting up, running down, stopping the interaction with the rest of the creative team, they're just back there fixing whatever that problem might have been. This is one of those questions like you'd ask a composer, a lyric writer, which comes first, the music or the lyrics. In the case of a lighting designer, at what stage do you get involved? Is there a typical way that it happens, or is it different for each show in in, in the creative process? In in the creative stage, you know, it happens always. Many times I've been the first person hired on a show before a director um, and before the set designer. Um, Sometimes we all come as a package. Who knows? But I have to light a space. And within that space, the space has to be created, and that is the set designer's job uh, in, colla- in collaboration with everybody. Is, uh, uh, but the set designer and director really talk. I'm on the periphery of that. I'm sometimes in those meetings, but they talk about it. And if there's something that might be, gee, could we do um, a waterfall or something, then they might say, Ken, could we do a waterfall? Um, they might ask me something. So probably at that point I have to step back until the scenic designer creates whatever the environment is going to be. After that environment is created, then I look at that and say, how am I going to light this? How am I going to fulfill the concept of the scenic designer, my concept, and the director's concept? Hopefully they're all in the same boat. uh, And make it look like the show you think you're going to come see. So it there's a little period there where I have to step back, but then after it is 
designed and drawn by the scenic designer, then I take it and I do my uh, layout. And I would assume you also have to work with a costume designer. Absolutely, Uh, because if you don't have the right lights, you can sort of make the costumes the wrong color. Uh, I remember when I did a show called Side by Side by Sondheim a number of years ago, Florence Klotz, the costume designer, red is a very difficult color to put on stage um, because you can change it very easily with the wrong color light. Um, you can make it too vibrant. You can make it muddy. You can make it brown. You can turn red brown faster than anything. Um, and I remember uh, Florence Klotz came up to me, and she handed me like seven swatches of red material. In the second act, the two ladies in the show wore red dresses. And she said, Ken. I said, yeah. And she said, um, see these swatches? She said, I would accept any one of them. You tell me which two I can use, but that better be the color of the dresses when I, they show up on stage. Well, that was, she was very serious about that. So I took those swatches and got some gel swatches and looked at them and made sure they were going to be red dresses in Act 2 of Side by Side by Sondheim. And uh, Flossie came up to me afterwards and she said, thanks, they're red. <laughs> so I knew I did well. And speaking of colors and gels, what is Surprise Pink? Surprise Pink is lavender. Uh, so surprise pink is when you put it on, it actually comes up with a pink uh, hue to it, but it is basically lavender. And because it is lavender, pulls out skin tones very well. It pulls out the color of costumes very well. It is actually a terrific color to um, put on skin tones. A combination of pink and surprise pink, you would have every star happy. <laughs> You've given the example from Side by Side by Sondheim. I'm curious as to is there a particular show or a couple of shows that were perhaps the greatest challenges that you remember for you to deal with and what what were they and why? Well, you know, challenges are actually what make it fun. If it was all the same, it wouldn't be uh, fun. You know, when we did the original Sweeney Todd, um, I remember Hal Prince showing uh, Eugene Lee, the set designer, and myself, uh, the picture of... Um, Grand Central Station with light streaming through the windows, which I think everybody in the world has seen, but these massive shafts of light coming through the window. And he said, why doesn't it look like this? And then I looked at this foundry Eugene had put on stage and said, how do I do that? How do I take something as bold as a foundry uh, that was the biggest set that had been ever done on Broadway at the time uh, and create shafts of light coming through windows. Well, I did it. But it was a challenge. I used equipment nobody had ever used, you know, on Broadway. I used film equipment. I didn't use very much. I only used like 125 lights. But I used equipment that was not the standard or the norm. And I do have a good story of that. When I I was lighting it, we were so far behind. I didn't have any technical rehearsal. And we had gotten to, I had sort of done the follow spots for Act 2, but I never lit the show. But they had checked through the show. And so now I had to light the show, and it was a 1 o'clock dress rehearsal. And there was not one light cue written for Sweeney Todd. And we had a full orchestra in the pit, everybody in costume. I had the follow spots done, so we knew there would be light on them. And the producers sort of brought in about 20 people they were hoping to get some more money from. And I went to Hal, and I said, Hal, I haven't lit the show. And he said, that's all right, kiddo. It'll be great. And I 
made up a cue. I made up a preset, which actually looked quite pretty. And then lights go out when the house lights go out, and cue one comes up when they sing the ballad of Sweeney Todd. And I had created the work light, basically. I, had, I hadn't created anything. I just made it up in the dark, you know, when didn't know what was going to happen. And the lights came up, and they're all singing, and Hal stops rehearsal, and he gets out of his seat, and he comes back up to the production table where I'm sitting in the middle of the auditorium. And he said, Ken... I don't like this. This isn't it. A light up. I said, oh, okay. And so I started turning lights off because that it was too many lights on. And I had put a light down at the front of the stage to do a shadow when somebody was hung, which was ultimately cut from the show, to make a shadow of the hanging fig- uh, figure on the back wall. And it happened to be the last dimmer. And I turned everything off except the shadow light. And it looked magnificent. Hal was in the down front, and he said, kiddo, you got it. I said, you're right. When we went home that day, the show was lit. Mm. It was remarkable that we got through it. But it was getting, I knew where I wanted to go with it, but I didn't have time to experiment. Because when I do my art form, the set designer, you know, goes home and sketches and paints and and gets up in the middle of the night and makes it prettier, and the costume designer does the same thing. The directors had three, four, five, six weeks of rehearsal. The orchestrators had the orchestra. Everybody's off in their little worlds creating, and the director's creating with the performers and the choreographer and putting it all together. When I get to light a show, they all show up with me. I get to do my creation of actually turning the lights on and off with a room full of people standing there watching me do my job who get very quickly bored by it all and say, are you done yet? Are you done? Can we go on? Can we go on? Yeah, sure. Uh, is it going to be that blue? No, maybe it's not going to be that blue, but I've never seen it before. So it, it's sort of, it's a fun process, by the way. And um, But it's I do my job with everybody watching me. We just uh, recently had David Ives on this program, who has done the book uh, Resurrections for many of the Encores a series at City Center. You've done a number of the Encore shows yourself. You just mentioned Juno, which just ran. Um, David talked about how he went back to try to find the original source material for many of the shows. Do you ever go back to try to find original lighting plots for shows that you're doing, whether it be at City Center or elsewhere in Revival? Uh, and and it, if you do, is there any relevance to that? No, it, it wouldn't be because they're very old shows. I, I, though, and we do them in such a very different form. There's no scenery, basically. Uh, but last year when we did Follies, um, it, for my money, the, the best lit show I have ever seen in my life from anybody was the original production of Follies on Broadway. And it was done, designed by Tharon Musser. And I remember it like I saw it last Wednesday, quite honestly. And I only saw it twice, but I did see it. And when I was lighting Encore's Follies, I did a homage to Tharon Musser. I tried to make it look like she had done it because I remembered it so well that I said, I'm going to try. But no, I don't go look. Um, I, it's my design. If you want the original, hire the original designer, you know. Um, but again, they're just so radically different. So, um, no. But sometimes I'd like to think about it. I'm curious about Encore's because Encore's works in a very particular framework with the orchestra on stage and somewhat foreshortened playing area. Having done so many shows for encores, you say you look for new challenges. Doesn't that form 
limit the opportunity for creativity given the time and the relatively set physical staging? You would think so. And um, But, you know, in the Juno I just did, I lit it like I've never done another encore. There was almost no color in it. It was very shafty and dark and shadowy. I think the New York Times told me I did sooty lighting, whatever that means. Um, but, you know... So that was like a challenge to do that. I've done some of the bigger musicals, and when I did The Apple Tree a couple of years ago, I I try new things. I try. By the way, it's when manufacturers give me equipment, too, because they say, you want to try my new light? And so Because they it, only need to give it to you for a couple of weeks. They only need to give it to course. me a couple of weeks, and they will back it or a new lighting console or whatever. So I do that, and it's a good place for me to try out uh, some equipment. Uh, I never try out something that I think might fail, uh, but I always try it out and say, well, if it doesn't work, I can still light the show. So, I it, it's, yes, they all look totally different uh, because the scenery is a little different. There's some shortcuts that I know that I need to do uh, just because that's what comes with the, the territory in lighting an entire encores in four hours one morning. That's all you have is four hours? Well, I, actually, I have two. I start lighting at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we're cast on stage at 10. We start tech at 10. Uh, they go to lunch at 12.30. I have 12.30 to 1. <laughs> They're back at 2, and we start about 2.15, and we finish at 6, and it's finished. And you have to bring in all the equipment and hang all the lights? Uh, they have the equipment within uh, the city the center, center has equipment. Ah. We bring extra equipment in. But it has to be finished. Dream ballets, I must tell you, nobody ever has to dream, deal with a dream ballet anymore. But some of these old shows have dream ballets. Dream ballets take 45 minutes. So they usually get lit afterwards. But um, I, the more modern shows don't have dream ballets. Well, how long do you have for a typical Broadway show? Not an encore, but a, a typical a Broadway show, show uh, I think 10 days would be about right. Um, some have more, some have less. Uh, but, you know, you can need a few days to get through Act 1, a few days to get through Act 2, and then uh, off you go. And we do it all together. And uh, some of my colleagues prefer to have lighting sessions and light without actors. I don't particularly like that. I feel that we're all in this together. So why would I sit here and light a scene without somebody standing where they're going to be standing? And then you light it, and then the actor shows up, and you thought they were over by the table. And when, in fact, they're three feet away from the table, so you've lit the wrong area. Then you spend all your time redoing as opposed to discovering. So I prefer to light while they're doing it. And it's, uh, you know, and everybody understands that, and it usually isn't uh, too much trouble. But I would assume also with, with many shows, there's a lot of changes as you go through the the tech rehearsal because the director is changing things. The Absolutely. Actors well, you know that lovely backdrop that nobody likes. And they say, well, we're not going to use that backdrop for this scene. We're going to uh, do it someplace else. Or the scene we were going to play down left, we're going to play down right. Or we're going to put this scene in Act 2. Now, that usually doesn't happen until you've done a run-through and a dress rehearsal or a preview. And all of a sudden... Scene, act one, scene two is now act two, scene four, and you're just sitting there with uh, piles of stuff saying, oh, how are we going to do that? Uh, I did a show, a flop musical called The Three Musketeers a number of years ago, and um, the director was replaced at the dress rehearsal. And I thought, oh, my dear, what are we going to do here? And the new director, Joe Layton, a uh, spectacular director, totally restaged the show in uh, five days. And we put the scenery in different places 
all the stuff I had laid out didn't work anymore. So we, so it was a bit of a scramble. Um, I felt we were doing subsidized theater in Bulgaria. I never left the production table. And I would assume then you have stage hands on ladders, rehanging lights, re-aiming lights. Uh, and all yeah, that. Oh, everyone's on. You have work calls every morning because uh-huh. the actors usually come to work at one. The crew starts at eight a.m. So we'll turn eight to twelve and do the technical things like rehang, refocus, fix. You know, things break too, so they got to be fixed. They do lunch 12 to 1. 1 o'clock, we start with the actors, and we do five hours, so we go to 6. And 6, everybody goes to dinner. 6 to 7, we come back at 7. The actors come back at 7.30, and we get going again and go to midnight. So anything you break during the day gets fixed in the morning, which is usually a lot. You've spoken of some particular challenges. I'm wondering if you could talk about one or two shows of which you're particularly proud and, and why. Um, well, you know, proud of a lot of things. You know, I, I can't say this is my very most favorite show because I would have to break it down to plays and musicals, and then I could have to break it down into a few of them. Uh, you know, I'm always most proud of the thing that I've just done, So, uh, and I'm looking forward to the next show. So I don't live a lot in the past, but I look back over a lot of years of doing musicals on Broadway, and I think Sunday in the Park. George is really good. Chicago, the original Sweeney Todd, and now a musical nobody's ever heard of called Working, which is um, based on the Studs Terkel book. I think you'd be surprised at how many people do know Uh, Working. uh, They know the book, but uh, this was a musical I did back in the 70s, which is one of the highlights of my career. But then I go to plays, you know. um, Before you go on, why was it a highlight? What what about Working? Why do you I don't know. I think I, I was emotionally, very emotionally attached to it. I thought it worked. I thought the music worked. I thought the performances worked. I thought David Mitchell's scenery was exquisite. Uh, Stephen Schwartz directed it so well. And it, to me, it was every department came together. And it was in the days where shows previewed for a week and opened, uh, not for a month. So uh, we started previews on a Friday and opened a week Sunday. Um, but it was like everything came together and it was just there. That it wasn't successful is okay, uh, but I still think I did a great job. I still think everybody did. It wasn't accepted by the critics, and that was the end of it. So and so not necessarily the hits are your favorites. Um, Sweeney Todd, of course, is a milestone in the American theater, uh, the world theater, but it was not a smash hit. You know, it ran a year and a half. You know, now we think shows should run 20 years. Uh, so, you know, so that was the reason I like those. Of plays, a play called Foxfire called, starring Hugh Cronin and Jessica Tandy and Keith Carradine, which used to bring me to tears every night just watching it. But again, it was, I think, the collaboration of all the creators, and it just paid off. If you go to my spectaculars, you know, I look at um, uh, Radio City of just taking millions of people have seen my work there, and that when I see them cheering the Rockettes because I did the light cube, at the wrong, at the right time, not at the wrong time, mm-hmm. at the right time, and I know that I got that applause going, and that you do thing, and that you have thirty six girls down, ladies downstage, kicking up to their eyes, and the and the, uh, boy, that's good show business. I like that. So those things are fun, you know, and it goes on. Restaurants, Tavern on the Green, a restaurant I designed the lighting for. You just look at it and say, I did a good job there. It's over the top and fun. 
There have been so many uh, influences on, on on theater from the other media, like rock music has influenced theater. Uh, television and videos have influenced. How about in terms of lighting? Have any of the other popular media, popular ways of, of viewing things, influenced what you have to do? I, I think they gave us tools. Uh, rock and roll gave us tools. They gave us automated lighting. They gave us um, um, some new parhead type of fixtures, a bright things. They also taught an audience, which is not so young anymore, uh, that the lights don't have to be hidden. You know, you go back to the Fillmore East days and uh, that they had the lights and they were blinking and there were light shows. Um, So an audience uh, became aware that lighting wasn't something that was hidden away. That in the concert world, the performers don't necessarily move. They're tied to their instrument and they sing their song. They may run back and forth, but they uh, sing their song on a platform. So the lighting does the movement for them, and uh, and the audience expects it. It gives it an energy, uh, and the well-lit rock concerts are like nothing you've ever seen. It's just they're incredible. The, those guys are great artists who design those. That, it, But an audience now expected that. So how do I take that and put it into, you know, into a Broadway show? Well, in Sunday in the Park with George, you don't want to see the lights blinking in your eyes. That would sort of destroy the illusion. But all the things that came with that innovation is available to me, with that I can do much more with the equipment and the control consoles. But then I go to something like High School Musical, which I have touring around the world, actually. Um, I do a lot of rock and roll lighting. It's for a younger audience. A younger audience likes color. They like movement. The show is fast. It's good. It's well-written, well-staged, well-designed. But we do. The lights move. Well, you know, On those scene shifts, the lights are changing. Now, they stop for the book scenes. But when we are going from scene one to scene two, the, I'm doing a light show up there. When we get to the end and we do the mega mix, I bring all the light pipes down like we're doing a rock concert, and I light that audience, and I get them cheering and standing up and going like they're at a concert. How about in a show like Chicago that's been running now since 1996? Do you go back and revisit that to be sure everything is still the way you I intended do. it? I love going to the theater. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, they maintain it so well. My The staff of electricians and stage managers in New York maintain it pr- brilliantly. I do go back and see my shows because my name is on it. So I want people to see it. And I always have thought... You know, I, opening night was a long time ago, but somebody bought a ticket tonight to go see the show. They should see the same show they, we saw opening night, and I have to look out for my department. So I go and I make sure it looks like it because, you know, some student coming to see Chicago who's in the 10th grade, and maybe that's their first Broadway show, and they like it, and they want to come back to the theater, they want to go into the theater, or they're just entertained by it. It's... Every performance should be opening night. Very early on in this conversation, you said, you know, you don't want people walking out humming the lighting. People shouldn't come out humming the lighting. But I'm wondering, for those people who might hear this conversation or who might be looking to understand more about theater, is are there any things that you can point to if an audience member really wanted to appreciate lighting in a show more? Are there things that they might look for in in a show that they go to or indeed in one of your shows to help them understand the process. I think, you know, 
I've always said probably no reviews are the best reviews uh, because I don't think you should notice. Now, of course, there are times when you should notice what we're doing. Um, but what could I tell an audience to look for? You know what, if it, um, it emotionally works, then perhaps the lighting designer has done their job. If you can't see the people, maybe the lighting designer has not done their job very well. What I can say is a follow spot, that big bright circle of light, doesn't light the actor. That's a bad operator. That probably isn't a bad designer. Um, but if it emotionally is doing the right things, or you're looking at it and saying, it's supposed to be a sunny day. Why Why is it so gloomy? Then maybe the lighting designer's done, not done a good job. Um, and it's hard. If you are noticing, if you're in a play and you're noticing the lighting, then maybe it's wrong, unless you were meant to notice it, that it is the dream sequence and all of a sudden the room goes from pink and sunny to blue, blue and green and somber. Um, you would notice that. But if the play musically or dramatically is supposed to take you there. When you do it, you will totally accept it, and you won't think about, oh, the lights just went green. So I think if looking at it, it's very objective. And I'll tell you, many directors and design, uh, scenic designers um, and producers don't know what I do for a living. Of course, they know what I do for a living, but they don't, they don't know how it's done. It's, uh, it's still a little bit of hocus-pocus. Well, you mentioned... Uh that you started lighting when you were in fourth grade. You've been lighting ever since. Many of our listeners are in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, high school, college. And if they want to be lighting designers, what would you recommend for a young person today who wants to get in, into the field that, that you are in? Well, you know, I joined the community players, joined the, the high school drama society or the glee club or whatever. And play and, and see if there's something that interests you. You know, turn the lights on off. Get involved with a theater group and see if that camaraderie of working with that group of people is fun. And if it is fun and the lighting is interesting and you get to run the lights and it's more fun, then maybe it's something you want to pursue. Um, if you go to college, then there are it's the exact same thing. There are drama clubs. You could go to a fine arts uh, and study lighting design. And then I say, it's do it, you know. Turn the floodlight on in the backyard and light up the tree like I did uh, and light down it, and you just play. Playing is great, you know. I Still to this day, I play. I, there's, if I get a new piece of equipment, I don't know what it's going to do. Or if I have to light something that I've not lit, I, well, I remember going for doing something, lighting the tower at SeaWorld. I didn't know how to light the sky tower at SeaWorld. I mean, I knew how to light it, but to find all the right tools, I just got equipment and went down there and played uh, on a dock in a, a lake, lighting a tower in the middle of the night and figured out exactly what it needed to be. And I thought, oh, I can do this. And, and we did it, and it's lit. But it's a bit of playing. Um, and then... If if it's interesting, I think, you know, start with the community players. See if this is a group of people you want to play with or the drama dramatic society. Sounds like you have kind of a fun job playing. I love playing. <laughs> I love the theater. You know, I get up every morning and say, I got a cool job. Nobody knows what I do, by the way, but I have a cool job. I get to go and manipulate emotions. Uh, I can take an audience. I can get them to stand up at a curtain call if they weren't uh, going to. And by doing the light cue at the right place, uh, I can get them to sit on the edge of their seat and listen if I, make, if I focus the lights down a little bit. 
I can get them to be scared. I can get them to do a lot of things. I like that. And as I said at the outset, millions of people have seen your work, literally, quite literally. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing with us today on Downstage Center. Thank you for letting me be here to talk to you all. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That is a wrap, and thank you. The American Theatre Wing encourages all of our podcast fans to share our programs with friends and colleagues, but we remind you that any commercial distribution, commercial use of our programs, or program modification is prohibited without our express permission. We appreciate your cooperation and invite you to contact us with any questions. Thanks for listening.